this ain't even a part of the sermon, but before you, you get a chance to um, speak in public, you start thinking about all the things you didn't do. And, uh, and this morning, every, every Sunday that happens for me, uh, and this Sunday, though, them just singing, it is finished, it's like, no matter what list that Satan presents before me of the sin that I've committed in the past week, the Lord says it is finished. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That it is not something that shackles me, but that he died so that I could be free, free to do delight in him and free to run in his glory and grace. And so uh, I ask that you join me in prayer and that you would walk in the freedom the Lord gives us so that even as we enjoy this moment, we do so free, not shackled by sin. Lord, guide our conversation. Guide this moment of preaching that your people here and at home may be blessed by you. Remove me that they may be able to see you clearly. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Last week, family, we shared the vision for 2023, and it's that we would be reconciled to God, and then we would go and reconcile others, that as God has done a great work in us, we are going to go out and tell others about this amazing king, and that it's not just for the world, but it's also for us, that we get closer, we grow our trust and dependence on Christ's builds as we share our faith with others. So in some ways, you can break it down to some of us have been saved to, to go help someone else be saved. Some of us have been blessed in order to be a blessing. But evangelism is one of those unique things. It's one of those unique things that you need to know a little something about Jesus before you tell somebody else. We ain't saying you need to have a degree. We're not saying you got to have the Bible memorized. We're just saying you need to be able to know a little something about Jesus if you're going to tell somebody else about him. You've been in a situation where you felt like a person didn't know nothing. I'm talking about didn't, didn't know, didn't, didn't know nothing. Like, like, like you pull up to Burger King, Burger King sells burgers, and you're like, cool, I want to get a Burger King Whopper. Can you take onion off? And then they look at you like you're crazy. I only know how to add stuff. I don't know how to take things off. Okay, well, then let me just get some onion rings. I only know how to keep the meal as it is. I don't know how to switch stuff. What? Huh? Like, like you, you've been there when, when something that you think is basic, a person might get an attitude with you, look at you like you crazy for asking for a simple adjustment. It happens all too often, and for us as God's people, we are not trying to equip you to be the master of all understanding of Jesus, but we do want you to be able to have at least one perspective of who this God is. It's actually why the elders and I chose the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews does this thing. It takes where a people can be tempted by persecution, tempted by all types of enticements to say no to Jesus. It takes that and it focuses you. 
it brings you back right on target with understanding who Christ is. And so our hope is that as we go through this whole book, I mean, it would be it'd be great if you wanted to memorize all of Hebrews. But if that don't happen, we hoping that at least one chapter might stick with you. We're hoping that at least one chapter you might understand the supremacy of God. Chapter one. Maybe you understand the danger of neglecting Jesus, who is the founder of our salvation, which was chapter two. Maybe you understand that you should not be tricked into the deceitfulness of sin, which is chapter three. Or maybe you realize that Jesus wants you to rest, which was chapter four. Maybe you get the warning against rejecting God, chapter 5, or that God is a God of promises, chapter 6, or that he is your great and high priest, chapter 7. And then we enter back into our story, our series in Hebrews, chapter 8. Go ahead and let your finger dance and open up your Bible to Hebrews, chapter 8 where we will see this amazing God give us the blessing of a new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, we're going to read the first five verses. Hebrews chapter 8, somebody in the pew, tell me what page that is to help us out. 1196? 1192 and 1196, depending on which Bible you have. When you are there, let me hear you say amen. Hebrews chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. This guy, Moses, right? Moses was a, a great uh, mediator. He was a great person that helped the people of God realize what God wanted for them. In doing so, he helped them escape out of oppression. He helped them experience the beauty of freedom, and God brought him to a place. He brought him to a place called Sinai. Now, Sinai was a, a, a time where God spoke to Moses and gave Moses some revelation. He said, Moses, there's an agreement that I want to have with my people. There's a, 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 a relationship. There's a bond. There is something called a covenant that I want to establish with them. And from there on, we get something called the Mosaic or the Sinai covenant. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about God communicating through Moses his expectations of his people. And he's never stopped providing expectation. We'll see that Moses has a format that the expectations comes in. Jesus has a different format. 
Moses' format comes through a covenant. Now, a covenant is something that we're not as familiar with. Our closest thing to understanding covenant is a contract. You go to buy your mortgage. The mortgage people say, hey, we'll let you have this house as long as you agree to pay. You think it's all good. Well, back in these early times, a covenant was a, a, a way in which you were covered. The king said, I'm in charge. I got power. I got might. If you want to be protected, if you want to be blessed, then you will enter into a covenant with me. The only thing I ask of you is submission. I ask for allegiance. I ask for obedience. And so if you will submit unto me, I will provide you all of these things. Covenants were common. And Moses communicates God's covenant with his people. Why? Because God's people needed to understand how God expected them to live. Sometimes, if we can be honest, we wish we had an old school covenant. Why? Because aren't there situations in your life when you start looking and you're like, Lord, what do I do? Which way do I go? How do you want me to behave? And wouldn't it just be cool if God was like, look up on the ceiling, dude, I wrote it. I said, go left. This job opportunity is going to be amazing. I said, go right, because she's going to cut you at that job. Don't do that. You know, wouldn't it be just great if it seemed to just be all laid out right there for you? See, that's what that's what God was doing for the people of God. No more simple wondering of how do I treat my neighbor? He gave laws. Don't covet his wife. He gave laws. He gave laws. And laws were a beautiful thing because laws helped the people of God see their wrongs. Y'all, I'm embarrassed to say this. I, uh, we moved, and I did this before we moved, but we, it's happened far more often since we moved. We moved, and um, I'll get ready in the morning. I'm getting my shoes on, put my pants on. A kid comes in, asks me some questions, yada, yada, yada. So now I go look in the mirror. I'm looking in the mirror, and the mirrors we have are this height up. So I'm like, okay, I don't see nothing on my face. I think I'm looking okay. All right, cool. So then I leave, and throughout the day, eat or whatever, go to the bathroom, realize, man, my zipper ain't, and the zipper opened half of the day, embarrassed. Because, but but see, the, the mirror was... Only this high, and the mirror itself was to show me all of my flaws, but I needed the full length. We got a full length now. We good now, y'all. But, but the, the point is the role of the mirror was to show me my flaws before I was to go out into the world. See, that was the goal of the Mosaic Covenant. God, in his beautiful love, said, I want to care for you so much. I'm going to give you laws to help you see your flaws. Because with no law, you just simply justifying everything. You heard what she said to me. That's why I smacked her. I was hungry, so I took his food. What's the problem? You see, you needed laws to be able to see your sin. 
And so God does this great thing with Moses is that he reveals this Mosaic covenant. But the interesting thing about the Mosaic covenant and one reason why we're grateful we're not under that covenant is it was conditional. Which means that if you obey, you get blessed. But watch this. If you don't obey, what happens? You feel it a little bit. You feel the consequence of it. You feel the, the curses of it. You feel God's wrath, which God is totally just. He laid it out. He said, this is what I long for you to do. And if you disobey me, if you choose an idol, if you choose to ignore me, then these are the consequences. Look in Deuteronomy 28. It's going to be on the screen. These are the, 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 the blessings, right? And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Verse 6, blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. God's like, I got you. <laughs> I got you. Just be faithful and obey my voice. Verse 15. But if you will not obey my voice, the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall be upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. It's like a, a light that's magnifying everything. This law was, was showing us, it was exposing our sin, it was doing what it was intended to do. And on this day before Dr. King's birthday, it's quite, quite uh, beautiful. I didn't plan this, I wish I could take the credit, but it's quite beautiful that we would be talking about uh, the, what the law does to help us see our sin in the great understanding of Dr. King's legacy. Because you see, Dr. King is most noted and compared to the biblical character of Moses in the Bible. If you say why, well, it's simple. Dr. King was trying to show our nation its sin. Show our nation its sin, but he didn't do it by throwing rocks. He didn't do it by trying to bring forth anger, violence, and rage. He did it by reminding the nation of its laws. Look with me. I want, I want you to hear these words from Dr. King. He said, the founding fathers had in mind when they wrote the Declaration of Independence and how Abraham Lincoln aided the realization of these goals by signing the Emancipation Proclamation. He said in his I, I Have a Dream speech uh, that they wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence uh, by signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. Fall and heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black, as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Y'all, I'm sorry, I'm educated, and I had to look up what inalienable means. 
it means you cannot, it cannot be given to you and cannot be taken away. So in the very laws of who we are as a country, every man was given the opportunity for life, liberty, and pursuit, so the law says. King asserts that the America's foundational values impact every one of the nation's citizens and that race and ethnicity can never prevent an American from exercising the freedom guaranteed by the Constitution. He also said, somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for right. And so just as I say, we aren't going to let dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. We will be going on. This great man was great because he was exposing the ills by reminding people of the laws, of what it is that we are ascribing to and what it is that would help us get there. But King was a man of faith. King was a pastor. King, like Moses, had an opportunity to just stay in some of the elite areas. And he said, no, I'm going back to be with my people to fight for justice. And so King roots his theology and even the civil rights movement in a Christ-like redemption. I'm going to share a quote with you that he shares in the end. The law, y'all. Like Dr. Phillips says, he says, the law is a light that reveals how dirty the room is. But it's not the broom that sweeps it clean. Look with me in verse six to the one who cleanses us, who makes life better. Verse six, but it is Christ. He has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old covenant as than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says this, Behold, the days are coming, the, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I had with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. We talk about this probably every two years because I still get astounded by it. And because y'all know McDonald's makes it into every sermon that I preach. There is actually a person who won a court case against McDonald's because their coffee was too hot. They sued McDonald's. But there's a problem when every time you, you, you commit an action, we have to create a law to keep up with the actions. How many laws will that be? 
laws will never stop being created because we always find new ways to sin. Sin is so creative. We can be so brilliant in our sinful ways. And so when we try to create laws, laws can be crazy. I remember just like studying about affirmative action. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm studying about, you know, affordable housing. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm studying about even King. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, 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 wait, there we had to make a law for someone to get caught, like creating redlining. We, we had to make a law that that was illegal, that you couldn't say black people couldn't live in a certain community. We had to make a law for that. We had to make a law to say that it's, it's wrong for you to only give white people mortgages. We had to make a law for like, like, do you see the complexity of sin and how it's not just the person who punches someone in the mouth, it's also the system that punches someone in the mouth. And so this Jesus is saying, wait a minute, wait a second. What I want to do is not create a new set of laws. You had that with the Mosaic Covenant, and it helped you see the depths of your sin. But what I want to do is grab your heart. Because you see, if I have your heart, I won't need to have a law get you right. I'll have my spirit rest upon you. And you'll know when you've wronged a brother, when you've wronged a sister. You'll know when you're a part of the system that is punching people, causing great pain. And so what God longs to do is create a new covenant, a better covenant. It's, it's not to create an, an, an at odds with the old covenant. No, Jesus came to fulfill the covenant. So he sees the covenant as doing its role, which is to show us our sin. But he also wants us to delight in the freedom that he gives us from sin. So he says, you saw it was bad. Now you have a chance to repent and thrive in me. Let me have your heart. Let me write on your heart. Let me inscribe my promises on your heart. See, some of us don't, don't realize the importance of a new covenant. It's, it's a blessing because we get to have God in us. If we needed laws to help us see how wrong we were, we need a holy God to help guide us step by step because he opens our eyes to see a new life. But sometimes we want to put the blinders back on. Sometimes we still choose to have lives that don't always reflect him. And I'm thankful for the next verses. Continue with me in verse 11. It says, and they shall not teach each one uh, his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. This is just talking about the beauty of now because he is on our hearts. It's not a national experience. It's also a personal one. Not just the people of God, because you can come into this church and leave just the same as when you walked in. You can say, hey, the service was good today, but you don't think nothing about God. Or you can come in here and the Lord be working inside, moving you, growing you, pulling you, causing you to want to live more for him. He said, I'm giving a better covenant. 
But I like when he opens our eyes and sometimes we pull them back. Look at look at verse 12. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, merciful towards their iniquities. So now there's no more. And I I didn't mess my team up. I was supposed to be guiding my team through all the slides. Pastor K been on it. Thank you, brother. Uh, But before there was a, a condition, you do this. I will do this. If you mess up here, you're going to feel this consequence. Now, what does he say? I'm merciful. I'm merciful. Experience the mercy even towards your sin. That's why when we try to pull back over these these sinful glasses because there's some sin we like to delight in, he says, I got mercy for that. I got grace for that. I've got love for that because I got your heart. And I know with your heart, I can write out how you've wronged me and and you'll repent. You'll apologize. See, some people ask me, so pastor, like, how do I know if I'm saved? And it's always a dicey question, right? Because because pastors should never be like, you know, if you're saved, if you do one, two, three, right? Like, I I don't know, get a little get a little hairy, you know, buy a pastor, a Mercedes Benz. See, you know, you're saved. You know what I'm saying? But 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 I, I think this is one of the main like main tests of knowing if you're saved. When you realize you've sinned, how does your heart feel? Notice I didn't say what you do, because sometimes God's like just rest in that. Sometimes He's like, go do it. Like I don't, I don't know what He's going. How does your heart feel? Do you feel remorse? Do you feel a sense of weight? Like, dang, I've hurt my sister or my brother, and I've hurt the Lord. Like, do you feel that? Or when you realize you've sinned, you should be like, hmm, whatever. They deserve it. that's, That's a dangerous place to be in as a believer, where your heart isn't palatable. It isn't soft to the Lord's ability to write on there and say, hold on now. Hold up now. I don't have to give you a whole list of laws. I just told you not to do this. I just told you not to say this. I just told, and you did it anyway. And now you don't care? Dangerous place to be. But he is merciful towards our iniquities. He's not keeping a long list. He's saying, I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one, I'm sorry, y'all, verse 13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Family, he gives us a new covenant, a better covenant. The law was good, but it was not the end for believers. Jesus comes to fulfill the law. And the question I have for you is, have you allowed him to write on your heart? Yes, I have a a beautiful mixed theology where I believe God has to do something to you to wake you up and say, you are mine. You have to be awakened to his mercy, awakened to his beauty, awakened to the majesty, and awakened to your sin. But I also believe that you got to choose to respond. You got to choose. If he says, give me this pen so I might write upon your heart, you got to say, okay, Lord, here it is. 
And our prayer, our prayer as a church is that you would be a person who says, I'm willing to let you, God, guide me. I'm willing to let you, Holy Spirit, lead me. I'm willing to let you make an oppression upon my heart. I don't even know what that means. But I'm willing to let you do it. Trust me. God will take you to some amazing places. He will have you uh, on stages singing. My wife, uh, she just left to take the baby out, but she used to tell me uh, that, that she never enjoyed singing around and in front of people. Hey, sweetie, just talking about you. Uh, my wife used to say she never enjoyed singing around or in front of people. Even today, if you notice, when she really gets into the Lord, she'll close her eyes. She don't want to see y'all. But that as the Lord was grabbing her heart and, and, and tugging her and gave her a beautiful voice, she began to step out for him and sing for him more and more. And, and we've been blessed by it. That's just, a, that's just a, like a, a tenth of who she is, but that's a tenth of who each of you is. Like, like, I've got so many stories of grace, of mercy, of serving, of loving, of kindness, of sacrifice, of helps that has happened in the midst of this body. And let's guess what? And I'm one man that knows this much compared to all that God does for you. When you let him grab your heart, you start finding yourself doing stuff that you wouldn't have thought you'd be able to do. What? Like. I always like people. Y'all, I didn't think I was going to be doing this. <laughs> I don't like to put Gary on the spot, but sometimes I put Gary on the spot. Y'all know Gary, like, taught himself the bass? Playing with us? He had, like, what you say, a, a lesson way back eons ago? Middle school. <laughs> but, God, but, but see what God will do when, when, when he has your heart like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to make a sermon that goes somewhere where it shouldn't I know I'm talking about like, like when you trust the spirit he will grow you and stretch you the root of that though is in give him your heart he wants to use you but not only does he want to use you for his glory he wants you to know him know him Know him is one of the reasons why last week when we had our vision Sunday, one of the steps of evangelism was recommitting. Not just going out talking and sharing. It was recommitting, recommitting to Lord. I'm going to live for you. Lord, I'm going to listen to you. Lord, I'm going to submit to you. Lord, I'm going to make space to you, for you. Lord, I want to rest in you. It's recommitting. And it is in that that we get reminded of God's desire to have his salvation story written upon your hearts. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our people. I thank you for their willingness to come get up and worship you. But Lord, you expect this of us. You expect us to make you first. You expect us to see you as king. You expect us to honor and lift you up. You also expect us to listen. So help us, Lord, to listen to 
you. Help us to hear your voice guide us and see that you provide a better covenant, one that is not based on our conditions and us doing perfect, but it's based on your love, your promise that will never leave us. And we're grateful for that. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Church family, we are a a body that believes in the beautiful love of Jesus. And if you have not yet experienced Christ, if you're a person that says, hey, I hear you talking, Pastor, but I I want to allow Jesus in my heart today. I don't know what you're talking about, but I want to experience it. I want to ask you to simply pray this prayer with me. You can pray it out loud, you can pray it at home, or you can pray it in the silence of your heart. Lord, I know you love me. And Lord, I don't even understand the fullness of what love is. But I know you love me. And I know that you died so I could live. That me, a sinner, you love. And that on the cross, you took my sin and shame and displayed love. And now I get to live a new life because of your sacrifice for me. Let me walk in love. Let me live according to your spirit. In Jesus' holy name, amen. If you've said those words, if you've uh, spoken those in your heart, we at MacAv Church, if you're at home in the chat, just send us a little message, say hallelujah or Uh, respond to that contact card because we want to follow up with you. If you are here, please come up front at the end of service as I or Pastor Kevin would love to talk with you. We want you to know you have a family that wants to walk with you in Jesus. A family that trusts a perfect God. Not saying we are perfect, but we trust in the one who is perfect.